I notice, Lord, that you often speak out of stillness. And I pray, Father, that you will still our hearts and still Paul's heart. And that out of who we are and of who he is, that you, Holy Spirit, will speak to us. And just bring us something that is fresh and something that is poignant and something that just shapes our week in the next week in, in how we treat and love humanity. Thank you, Lord, we are part of a global church, a global family. And may we understand that more. Amen. 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 Thanks, Al. Tim, have you got the clip? Many of us grew up in Christian cultures where we were handed a big checklist of things to do, right? Pray every morning, every night, before every meal. Have a quiet time of studying the Bible. Nighttime is acceptable, but real Christians wake up early in the morning and do it, right? (laughs) Go to church every Sunday, Wednesday night, on and on and on. We were told that we had to do all these things. Most of us weren't told why. What's the actual point of these practices? There have been so many times in my life where I've diligently performed these practices and there was absolutely nothing Christ-like about it. We've all seen stuff like this, right? People pray before a meal and then be a jerk to the waiter or waitress. People read their Bible and then go to a job where they exploit people all day. People evangelizing on street corners with big signs and megaphones while completely ignoring the people sleeping beneath an overpass 10 feet away. Our practices are pointless if our posture isn't Christ-like. So, what's the actual point? What's the what for? Yeah, that's the, the key question, I believe, we don't spend nearly enough time on. And Easter is one of those times, though, when we definitely need to. We need to be thinking, not just about the what, but the what for. So Easter, historically, is one of the most important dates in the Christian calendar. The, uh, the famous theologian, no, that's the wrong one, isn't it? The, the famous football manager who knew about a few victories said this, Christmas is important, but Easter is decisive. But the question is, but what for? So we know that Easter is a big deal in our culture, isn't it? It's a holiday time when we look forward to a break, to seeing friends, to spending time with family, and maybe eating chocolate or trying to avoid eating chocolate. You know, the signs and the symbols of Easter are all around us. We appreciate, don't we, the signs of new life with the weather and our gardens coming back to life. But if we're really honest, although Easter is still incredibly familiar in our culture, outside of the the 6% or so of the UK who actually go to church... Most, most of us don't really know the importance of the Easter story. They know the story. They just don't seem to care about it anymore. Many of you know that I'm, a, I'm an Arsenal supporter. And uh, we've got a player called Gabriel Jesus. Someone boo then. Okay, we've got a player called Gabriel Jesus, spelt... It's about Jesus. And um, last home game, it was his first game back after four months out with an injury, and he scored two goals. 
And in the crowd, you could hear people shouting about the comeback of Jesus. And someone, someone had a sign in the crowd that said, Jesus returns. This is all predictable stuff. And the guy sitting next to me said, oh, he'll probably get a hat trick given the time of year it is. You see, people know the Easter story. We're actually very good at telling the story. That's not the issue. The issue is, is that it's not touching most people anymore. So if you Google Easter on the old uh, search engine, what images do you think you get? Yeah. You get chocolate eggs in baskets, bunnies, and flowers. Nothing particularly wrong with that, but you've got to be much more specific and intentional to get Christian images. And that's partly, I think, because if we're really honest as a church, we spend most of our time telling the story that engages us as current Christians and not enough time communicating it in a way that makes sense for everybody else who currently don't seem to care. And it's really sad, isn't it, because they're exactly the people who need to hear it most. And as we read in our Bibles, the Easter story is the fundamental story that is meant for everybody. I'm going the right way this time. There we go. 1 Peter 3:18 says, "For Christ also suffered for our sins once for all, the righteous and for the unrighteous, in order to bring you to God." Or as Matthew 26:28 puts it, "This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins." Now, if you think about it, and we just had it in the quiz, um, the person that carried Jesus's cross was an African. Okay, from modern-day Libya. The first person into the new family of Jesus was a criminal. The first person to witness the resurrected Christ was a woman. One of the very first people the Bible recalls as being baptized into the church, not just a general they were baptized, but a specific story, is a eunuch. This is someone who would have been barred from access to God's house. Yet he is one of the very first accepted into the new family of Jesus. And all this immediately after Samaria, ethnically mixed with pagans, following its own religion and hostile to the Jews, they just accepted the good news. See, the Bible is literally screaming at us that this is something very different and something very new that is happening. This is not an exclusive religious members club, but it's the expansive story for everyone of the once and for all central defining moment of God working through human history. And yet, we struggle to get the meaning across, don't we? We struggle for people to really care about the greatest story. And I think in large part, that's because as I said, we're very good at telling the what. We're very good at describing the story. But we spend very, very little time on the what for. In other words, we don't focus enough on what, on what the real difference it makes to us. So we rightly speak about Jesus dying for our sins. And yes, we properly talk about 
the personal cost to Jesus of the ultimate sacrifice he made for us all. And of course we celebrate Jesus' victory, resurrection and victory over death. You know, we tell the what story, but do we really give it the what for? So this morning, that's what I want to do. And I hope that's okay. I'm going to give you a bit of a what for. Is that okay? <laughs> a bit of a what for. Okay, so firstly, at Christians, and particularly Easter, we talk about uh, Jesus atoning for our sins, don't we? And we rightly talk about that because atonement is a central theme in Scripture. It's also crucial to the Easter story. Um, put simply in English, it means at one moment. That's what the word actually means, at one moment with God. See, God didn't just come to deal with all the things that we do that cause offence to ourselves and others and that keeps us separated from God. So what we call sin, in other words. Yet sin is a crucial issue that God had to overcome. But as Isaiah says, See, the Lord's hand is not too short to save, nor his ear too dull to hear. Rather, your iniquities have been barriers between you and your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. You see, Isaiah understands that it's us that puts the barriers between us and the presence of God. It's us that puts up the barriers. And in spite of this, God is always reaching out to us. Now, as Romans 5.8 says, But God proves his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The problem isn't God, the problem is us. But even more fundamental than the issue of sin is that God always intended to create a world to be present with us in. After all, we're all made in God's image and likeness. Emmanuel spoke about this last week. God always intended to come to us and be present with us in relationship. That's the the Genesis 1 start of the story. It's the gospel middle of the story, if you like. And it's the Revelation 21 end of the story. It's definitely the point of the whole story. It's the fundamental what for. Going back to what we read in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18. Christ came so that we might be with God. Christ came to us, lived amongst us, ministered to us, died for us, was resurrected for us, ascended for us, will come again to restore all things for us, and is a living reality now through his spirit in us. What for? To set us free to live in permanent, unhindered communion with God. So whatever your understanding of atonement and whatever system you might have been taught, I believe we can and we must unite around the fundamental what for, that it means that we can be truly one with God. That Jesus died for our sins so that we can live, so that we can have life, 
not just any old life, but come alive in relationship with God. Okay, so I'll give you uh, another what for. Okay. Our at one moment with God frees us up to participate with God. Okay. So this is just not a, a one-dimensional transaction that is taking place. Rather, our at one moment frees us up to fulfill our created purpose, to represent God in the world. That's the reason we carry God's image. That's the what for. You know, we read in Genesis 3 that it was our selfishness, our desire to be top dog, our craving to get our own way and be right, that made participation with God difficult. And although God follows Adam and Eve out of the garden, what we read in the rest of the Old Testament is people's struggles to get into and stay in the presence of God. But God is totally faithful to the original purpose, to be in relationship with us and finds a relational way to end the struggle. And so Jesus' resurrection marks the defining point in history, a new way to relate to God, and a new way to fulfill all that God intends us to be. But Jesus' resurrection is not the end, isn't it? It's the beginning. It's the start. And that's where our participation comes in. I've um, just uh, truncated this a little bit for time, but this is Acts 26, 16 to 18. And Paul says this, For I, and he's talking about Jesus here, Jesus have, have appeared to you for this purpose, to appoint you to serve and testify, to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, so that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place amongst those who are sanctified by faith in me. So just as we are created to carry God's presence, we're being recreated through our participation in Christ to restore and renew all things. We join with Christ and we join with others in Christ to bring what is good and righteous and to defeat evil. We carry God's light into the darkness. We help people discover that God really does forgive them. In other words, that God loves them so very, very much, unconditionally, in fact. And so what greater purpose can we have than working with God to do this? Okay, so the what for is unhindered communion with God, living with God. It's also participating with God and in God's purpose to renew and restore all things. And there's one final what for I want to give you on this Easter Sunday. And that our at one moment with God frees us up to be changed by God. It means that we can grow and develop to fulfill our God-given potential and be transformed into people who truly reflect the image and likeness of God. Now, I know that there is a narrative around us. You've probably heard a lot, heard this a lot, many, many times, uh, that people don't really change, that people can't really change. 
Like, you know, a leopard doesn't change its spots. You can't teach an old dog new tricks. And maybe we don't believe that, but still many of us act and treat one another in a way that we limit one another because we don't think they can change. And maybe that's because we all find change so difficult that we don't really expect it in other people. But I'll tell you what, with the spirit of the resurrected Christ, we can change. In fact, the normal trajectory of someone who has put their trust in Jesus is that they will keep on changing, slowly maybe, but surely to reflect more of Jesus. And this is how 2 Corinthians 13, sorry, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18 puts it. All of us with unveiled faces, seeing the glory of the Lord as though reflected in a mirror, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, the Spirit. Our one means we can be changed by God to become more like Jesus. Okay, so to draw this to a close, I'll tell you another what for. I believe Jesus is worth following, period. Not because it's some sort of cosmic life insurance, but because following Jesus is the very best way to live our lives now. You know, we are gathered here to celebrate as people who have experienced that that makes sense. That's right, isn't it? We know that following Jesus is the best way to live our lives. That through Jesus' death and resurrection, God has removed that veil. The barriers, the blocks, the unnecessary religion has been removed for all time and the Holy Spirit released so that we can be with God. The point is for us to be with God, to live. What for? To be free to live in unhindered communion with God. To be free to participate with God in God's renewal plan. And to be free to be changed by God and become more like the people that we were created to be. And I think that's fantastic news. Yeah? And uh, I've, um, I've given you the what for. Thanks for listening. And uh, I'd like to encourage you for the rest of this Easter to go and give some other people what for. You have permission to go and give them what for and tell them what the Easter story is really for. Anthea.